Hello friends, and welcome to the Shellac Stack. My name is Brian Wright, with you once again for a musical variety hour featuring 78 RPM records from my collection. It's music from the first half of the 20th century. On today's program, I thought we'd return to the theme of same song, second version. That is to say, I've pulled out seven or eight different songs and we'll hear two different versions of each. We're going to start with a well-known fiddle tune from the 19th century. It's gone under various names through the years. Early on it was called Old Zip Coon, but today you'd probably recognize it as Turkey in the Straw. The first version of this that we'll hear was recorded on March 25, 1932 by a then 71-year-old fiddler named John Baltzell. That's B-A-L-T-Z-E-L-L. He was born in Knox County, Ohio on September 23, 1860 to a rather poor family. His father was a shoemaker, and although young John had aspirations to be a fiddle player, his family couldn't afford an instrument for the young boy, so he fashioned his own out of corn stalks. At some point in his childhood, though, he did manage to acquire an old beat-up violin, fixed it up himself, and started playing on it, playing well-known tunes of the day and also composing some of his own. He's rumored to have collaborated with Dan Emmett, the guy famous for writing the tune Dixie. And in the early 1920s, John Baldzell, in his 60s by then, started recording first for the Edison label and eventually for other labels as well. This is among his later recordings, made just a few years before he died in 1940. We'll follow John Baldzell's recording of Turkey in the Straw with one by O'Leary's Irish Minstrels for comparison. But without further ado, here's John Baldzell. Thank you. 
Well, have you had your fill of Turkey in the Straw yet? <laughs> I hope so. Don't worry, that's all we're going to play of Turkey in the Straw on today's program. And you're a trooper if you stuck that out. That was Columbia 33312-F. A beautiful green label on that record. That's from Columbia's Foreign and Ethnic series, recorded in the mid to late 1920s. Before that, it was John Baltzell, 71-year-old fiddler at the time that record was made in March of 1932. That was a Conqueror record, number 7741. Well, up next, I have a traditional Scottish song for you. This was first published in the year 1841, though the song may be a bit older than that. It came from a collection titled Vocal Melodies of Scotland. It's the famous Loch Lomond. The story here goes that the song is the lament of a rebel from the Jacobite uprising of 1745. This rebel has been captured and sent to London to be executed following a show trial. The high road and low road reference here may be that the low road is the traditional underground route taken by the fairies or little people who are reputed to transport the soul of a dead Scot who died in a foreign land, in this case England, back to his homeland to rest in peace. We'll hear this sung for us first by Henry Burr on a Victor record from January of 1905, real early one here, and we'll follow that with a swing treatment by Chick McGregor and his Royal Highlanders, on a 10-inch C.P. McGregor 78 RPM transcription. This is from the late 1930s. It's C.P. McGregor number 1393. So two versions now of Loch Lomond, the Old Scotch Air.
There you have a pretty good version of Loch Lomond, played by Chick McGregor and his Royal Highlanders. That was recorded for McGregor's own C.P. McGregor transcription label in the late 1930s. I have a handful of those Chick McGregor records, and all of them are good. Before that, we heard a record made in Philadelphia on January 4th, 1905, though my copy is a reissue from the 19-teens on Victor 16062. That was Henry Burr and his rendition of Loch Lomond. Up next, I've got two versions of Dvorak's famous humoresque for you. There were so many to choose from, but I thought we'd start first with Sasha Culbertson. He was a young violinist when this was made in 1921. He had had his Carnegie Hall debut the year before, and the reviewer in the New York Times wrote of Sasha Culbertson's playing, quote, Mr. Culbertson's peculiarly silky tone wove itself around Bach's honest harmonies as cobwebs cling about old wine. I thought that was a a nice way of putting it. We'll hear Sasha Culbertson play Humoresque on a Vocalion record, number 30132. And we'll hear a famous jazz pianist whose touch you will likely recognize, 
right away, so I will say no more. But now, two versions of Humoresque.
one and only Art Tatum, his rendition of Humoresque, recorded for Decca in Los Angeles on February 22nd, 1940. Really marvelous record. Before that, from March of 1921, we heard violinist Sasha Culbertson play Humoresque on a Vocalion 78. Incidentally, I was reading a little bit about Sasha Culbertson, and it seems that in 1929 his father died. His father was a geologist, and apparently of some means, because he willed to young Sasha a violin made in 1732 and valued then at $100,000. Wow. (laughs) Sasha was not allowed to sell the violin by the terms of the will, but he could keep it and use it for the rest of his life unless he should have suffered some sort of injury or been unable to play, at which point the trustees to the will were permitted to sell the violin so that the proceeds might benefit the son. In any case... Uh, I wonder what ever happened to that violin, and I wonder how long Sasha Culbertson continued playing. Up next, another old tune written by Lady John Scott. This is Annie Laurie. First, we'll hear a Jeanette record made in April of 1923, a very interesting arrangement for Mandolin and Harp, played by William and Vivian Place, Jeanette 5160. And even though this is an acoustic record, I think the fidelity is quite good. The tones of the harp come through very, very well. After that, we'll hear Edison's favorite soprano, Anna Case, and a record she made on the Edison label, 83059, in about July of 1916. So two renditions now of Lady John Scott's Annie Laurie. Thank you. 
renditions of Annie Laurie. That was Anna Case singing it on an Edison record made July 3, 1916. Before that, an interesting harp and mandolin arrangement by William and Vivian Place, recorded for Jeanette in 1923. At this point, I feel like I risk putting you to sleep with too many more of these 19th century light classics, so we're going to step it up a little bit now with a popular tune of early 1927, I Never See Maggie Alone. This one's a little humorous. First, Tom Martin will sing it with the Asterites. That was a band led by Fred Rich that recorded for the Harmony label. This is Harmony 336 from January 10th, 1927. And then from three days earlier, we'll hear the same tune played by Irving Aronson and his commanders, Victor 20473, Phil Sachs is the vocalist on that rendition. The song is by Harry Tilsley and Everett Linton. Here it is, I Never See Maggie Alone.
father, her mother, a sister and a brother. Oh, I never see Maggie alone. She brings her uncles and cousins. She's got them by the dozens. I never see Maggie alone. And if I phone her, say to her sweet, where shall we meet? Supposing that we eat, she brings her father, her mother, her sister, and her brother. Oh, I never see Maggie alone. <laughs> There you have two renditions of I Never See Maggie Alone, first played by the Asterites and then Irving Aronson and his commanders, both of those records made in early January of 1927. Well, we're going to head back to the tail end of the 19th century yet again for another bit of light classical music so popular at the time. This is Ethelbert Nevin's Narcissus. Ethelbert Nevin is a composer for whom I have some affinity. He was born in 1862 in Edgeworth, Pennsylvania, which is just up on the northwest side of Pittsburgh. He returned there often throughout his life, even as he took time off to compose and go to places like Berlin and Paris. He was a well-known composer in his own day, but doesn't seem to have managed his finances very well. He frequently found himself in debt, and this caused him to drink, and his drinking led to health problems, which led to an untimely death when he was still just 38 years old. He was memorialized with the United States postage stamp in 1940, and he's probably best remembered today for this piece, Narcissus, along with Mighty Lacka Rose and The Rosary. Well, here Narcissus, performed first by Charles Kellogg, who whistles it with the Victor Orchestra, an electric recording made on February 17, 1926. Then we'll hear it played as a piano duet by Muriel Pollock and V. Lawnhurst on a Decca 78 from September of 1934. So, two versions now of Narcissus by Ethelbert Nevin. Thank you. 
There's a tune you might have recognized, even if you didn't know the name. That was Narcissus. Well, I've got a hymn for you now. I don't play a lot of religious music on the program, but this is a hymn I've always liked. It's Abide With Me, written by William Henry Monk and Henry Francis Light. We'll hear this performed first by Olive Klein and Elsie Baker, two very popular Victor Sopranos and Contraltos of the late 19-teens and early 1920s. It's rare to hear them in electric recordings, but that's what this is from September of 1927. It's Victor 19873. Then we'll hear an acoustic Victor record made in February of 1906, probably in Philadelphia, Richard J. Jose 
on Victor 2633, a one-sided record. Two renditions then of Abide With Me. First up, here's Olive Klein and Elsie Baker.
We first heard Abide With Me, sung by Olive Klein and Elsie Baker in 1927, and then by Richard J. Jose in 1906. Two versions of Abide With Me. Well, if I don't dawdle, I think we can fit in one more pairing on today's Shellac Stack program, so let's hear two versions of Lassus Trombone to send us on our way. First, we'll hear a record made in 1921 by the Mooseheart Concert Band. Now, if they sound a little rough around the edges, it's because this was a school orchestra made up of middle and high school students. They recorded this on a trip to New York, and it was issued only on a Columbia personal record, 91238. After that, we'll hear Eddie Howard and his orchestra. Eddie Howard, best known as a singer, but here, no vocalist in sight. It's an instrumental and a pretty swingy one at that. From September of 1947, Eddie Howard's orchestra plays Lassus Trombone on Majestic 1178. But first, here's the Mooseheart Concert Band.
Alas, the clock on the wall says, time's up. <laughs> That's all there is for this edition of the Shellac Stack. We wrapped up with two versions of Lassus Trombone, the Mooseheart Concert Band, followed by Eddie Howard and his orchestra. As always, I want to thank you so much for taking time to tune in and listen to these 78s with me. I hope you had fun, and I hope we'll see you back here next time for more records on the Shellac Stack. Until then, take care. Bye-bye. Thank you.